It's Life Words again. Life Words Q&A, our weekly discussion on life and faith with David Ray. Great that you could be with us. Three questions ahead of us. We'll be looking at what the Bible possibly means that we're crucified with Christ. We're going to look at uh, the negative reporting about the church in the media, which has been happening recently. But first, David, and welcome to your program. Um, I hear a lot of churches boasting about numbers attending, but uh, do numbers matter? Matter. Well, they matter in as much as numbers represent individuals, and individuals are precious to God. Um, I was a pastor can say that the more people are in churches, the more chance they have of hearing about Jesus and letting him change for the better. Um, I think any church, any leader of a church, would love to see more such seekers after God in their midst. Would I rather have 10 seekers after God in my midst or 30 seekers after God in my midst? Well, thank you. I think I'd rather have the 30 because numbers represent human beings. But some cautions about that. See, I, 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 there can be a bit of um, false comparisons here. You see, I, I think some churches are better equipped by facilities and by culture to greet and absorb large numbers of people. Uh, some churches are, I think, wired to be bigger than others. Um, some churches will never actually be very big. And there's a few reasons for that. One is a road system. You know, uh, there's some churches that I'm aware of that might not grow a lot ever because it's simply the way great big expressways and other things are being plonked down right alongside them. And car parking. <laughs> I mean, I mean, some, some churches, believe it or not, might be limited in their growth by the amount of car parking that's around the place. So they're, they're very practical things. So uh, I, I, I don't think that um, small churches, or sorry, that big churches should boast about uh, all the numbers they've got. It may be that their facilities and so on are wired, and they're wired in such a way that they are to be big. And, and I don't think smaller churches should succumb to envy either and, and assume that just because a church is bigger, it must be better. Um, you see, I, I, I think, and maybe um, behind the question, there is this, this thing whereby we're maybe measuring churches primarily or solely on the basis of numbers, and I think that's wrong. Uh, numbers, are, numbers do matter. I've already said that because numbers represent individuals. But I think when when I as a minister say, oh, well, I've only got 100 people in this church, whereas the bloke next door's got 150, therefore his church must be better, that's not so at all. A couple of things about that. You see, much can depend on demography, location and facilities, as I've said about roads and car parking and so on. Um, uh, and, and as I say, demography, I mean, if you're in some parts of Sydney and you can get 50 people into, say, an Anglican church, which I'm part of, uh, that's wonderful. But if you're in another part of Sydney, um, you may well easily get 150 people in because of demographics. So these things matter. But the other thing I'd want to say is mere statistics can be misleading. Let's say I say I've got 100 people in this church and 200 people in another church. Well, that doesn't actually tell me anything much about the relative health of those churches. It could, it could. But um, if I've got 100 people in my church and 90 of whom are fully committed and passionate about Jesus Christ and love and care for one another and so on and so on and are generous in their giving and so on, I might be a lot healthier than the bloke down the road who's got 200 in his church, but only 50 of those um, are in the same category of generous givers and totally committed to the church and to one another and so on and so on. Um, and, and, and similar to that, when churches gain or lose members, I, I think, it's, it's, for example, I'll give you an example, a church can gain 10 people over a year and lose five. 
Now, you might say, oh, well, in fact, uh, you know, they've done very well. They've gained five people. But you've got to go beyond the statistic. Um, maybe the five people they lost were key contributors to the church in every way, whereas the ten that joined might be ten troublemakers who've actually escaped from another church and want to actually impose all their troubles on them. So this this guy might sort of boast about the fact that, well, looking, looking at all our statistics, we've gained five people. But you may not have actually gained at all in the end. That's where I think mere statistics can be misleading. Numbers matter because they represent human beings. But we dare not simply measure our churches on the basis of numbers on a printed page. Uh, the second question, David, uh, is there so much negative reporting about the church in the media? Is this part of a conspiracy against the church? Andrew, I'm very wary of conspiracy theories generally, and of that particular one. I don't believe in that, that there is a conspiracy against the church. Sure, many in the media are sceptical about the Christian faith and the church. There are some that are more friendly. But look, that merely reflects society as a whole. There's a whole lot of people out there in society who are sceptical about the Christian faith, and some are friendly. So I, th I don't think the media are sort of plotting this grand conspiracy against the church. Uh, I think they're just simply reflecting what general social attitudes. But I think that there are problems, though, in the media and the church, and I think they're threefold. Let me just briefly outline them. One is, I think the church gives the media ammunition uh, to attack them with some unwise public statements and some hypocritical behaviour. I don't blame the media for attacking the church if the church comes out with unwise statements and it engages in hypocritical behaviour. We see this with raw commissions into child abuse and all this sort of thing and, and many other things otherwise. So the media um, might negatively report on the church. Well, uh, if there's negative things happening, well, you expect them to report truthfully on that. The second problem is that the media people often don't understand the, the nuances and subtleties and the complexities of the faith and the workings of the church. I've, I've, I've seen that firsthand. Uh, a reporter or a journalist um, may not be malicious or wanting to in any way have conspire against the church, but they simply don't understand it. Years ago, uh, metropolitan newspapers had dedicated uh, what they call religious affairs reporters and a couple of them, without mentioning names, were very good because they understood, not necessarily they were Christians, but they understood the workings of the church and they understood the general shape of the Christian faith. But nowadays, expert religious writers, I think, are generally not existent in the mainstream media. And so, therefore, you've often got people writing about things that they, they sort of know from a distance. Um, and I don't blame them for that. I'm not critical of them for that, uh, but simply um, uh, there's bound to be misunderstanding. So sometimes I read what the um, media are reporting about the church and I think, oh dear me, um, they've got that wrong. But I don't think it's a conspiracy. I think it's just simply a lack of understanding and lack of insight, which hopefully can be corrected as, as the um, reporter matures and so on. But the third problem with the church and the media is simply this. The media thrive on conflict and trouble. Um, that's, again, not to attack the media. Um, but generally speaking, the media will not be reporting on things that just go as planned. The good news stories, and many people will complain about that. They say, why don't the media report on the good news stories? Well, the media response is very much, well, that doesn't actually um, promote our cause very much. Um, the media thrives on conflict and trouble. So, so Christians can complain. There's lots of wonderful good news stories happening regarding our faith and our churches, but they don't get reported. 
um, a, a faithful Catholic priest, for example, might minister in his parish for 20 or 30 or 40 years, just sacrificially serving his people. The media are not going to report on that. But I tell you what, if one Catholic priest um, commits shocking criminal abuse, they're going to report on that. And I don't blame them. Uh, that's, and so we, we can't actually say to the media, listen here, you've got to report on all the good things that happen as well as the bad things that happen. Well, sadly, that's not the nature of the beast, as it were. Um, that's not the nature of news gathering and reporting. And I don't think it's because of media bias. Some Christians say, well, they, they never report the good stuff about the church. They only report the bad stuff. I don't think that's because of bias. I think it's because that's the nature of news gathering and reporting. You might regret that, as, as, as I would regret it. I'd love there to be more balance. I'd love there to be more um, uh, reporting given to all the wonderful things that the church is doing. But I'm realistic enough to know that that actually is not really the nature of the mainstream media. It may actually be the nature of um, community radio or community newspapers, local newspapers and so on, where the, the good news stories uh, get more reported. But in the mainstream um, mass media, sadly, that doesn't get reported. And I don't think it's a conspiracy. I think it's sadly something about the nature of the media, the nature and the limitations of the individual reporter. But also, we have to say honestly, it's to do with the um, fallibility of the Christian church. I'd probably going on to your third point there, it's also the fact that you can't escape the fact that... Um we're living in, a, I guess, a postmodern kind of environment where, you know, we all hold it or our individual truth or understanding of what our personal truth is, is equal to yours. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes, yes. Our, our own truth is what's important. So that really goes against possibly um, the, 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 the culture and the, the beliefs of the church where we do have some, you know, God says this and God says that right. and, and it goes against our personal beliefs and I guess that's... Oh, yes. We're not well, going to escape that, are we? No, the media are going to jump on us uh, for, for daring to suggest that we have some absolute values. Um, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, uh, and so on and so on and so on. And and um, the media, as you say, yes, don't like that because they reflect the postmodernism of society, which basically says, well, my truth is good as yours. Christians want to uh, hopefully, respectfully, and sensitively disagree with that. And trying to get that message across through the mainstream media where that is not well understood and can even be treated as a hostile concept that's tough. And I think we've just got to um, um, accept that and say, yes, we, we are never, I think, ever going to fully and thoroughly commend the Christian faith through the mass media. The media is very important. It's very valuable. And we do our best. But in the end, people will come to Christ, not through media campaigns, not through newspaper reports, but from one Christian who loves Jesus, telling other people about Jesus and there is that we avoid any media filtering there. The personal witness of one Christian to a person who is not yet a Christian uh, can bypass all the stuff we've talked about. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray. Hi, I'm Andrew Morris. Our final question for today, David, is what does it mean in the Bible that we're crucified with Christ? 
Well, yeah, that, that verse occurs in the book of Galatians. And um, look, it's a symbolic way of saying we're somehow merged with Christ. There's a very basic New Testament concept that all Christians should understand, that we are in Christ. When we have faith in Christ, we are in Christ. That is, somehow or other, God sees us somehow or other. He certainly sees us as still unique, distinct individuals. But he also sees us in terms of his uh, relationship with us as being in Christ. Now, Now, when Jesus was crucified, he took our sins on himself and he bore the penalty of them. Now, where therefore, because we are in Christ, we are seen to have actually having paid the penalty ourselves. Some people have gone so far as to say, when God looks at me in terms of judging my works and my faith and so on, he doesn't so much see me, he sees Christ. That might be overstating a little bit, but not by much. That's because uh, it's often expressed that we come to the Father through Christ. Through through Christ, that's right. And so many people have looked upon it in a certain different way, sort of a law court metaphor. Uh, I'm before God the judge and God says, well... uh, you know, you you've, look at all your sins, David, right? They're, they're, they're many and varied. Jesus then steps in front of me and says, oh, excuse me, um, um, I've died for him. Uh, those sins have been dealt with. And God says, oh, right, yes, yes, that's right. He's in you, isn't he? Uh, now, that's, again, a very crude way of looking at it, but it's not too far away from, I think, what Paul is trying to say in Galatians. You see, we're seen by God as having paid the penalty for sins because Christ has. We're seen as new people who are no longer enslaved to sin. So what, what Paul is saying in the context there is, We've been crucified with Christ in the sense not only are we now forgiven and receive the grace of God, but we actually are set free to live a new life. Because as it were, um, um, we, 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 we are no longer enslaved to sin. Yes, yes, we still sin, but we're no longer helpless captives to it. And so the whole idea speaks of death to sin. And later in that same verse, Paul talks about living for Christ. So really what Paul is saying there is my old way of life is dead. And he uses, by a metaphorical illustration, crucified with Christ, because that's where our sins were actually dealt with. It's his way of saying our old way of life is dead and buried, at least in principle. And it's like this because of Christ's death on our behalf. And our faith in him means we're united with him. As he's died in a physical sense, so we've died to sin in a spiritual sense. The penalty of sin no longer claims us, and the overwhelming power of sin no longer holds us helplessly captive, even though we still sin. Thanks, David. Really appreciate that. Uh, you can continue to listen to more LifeWords Q&A podcasts uh, on the Hope website. We've got plenty that have gone before this one. And also, you can subscribe through the iTunes store uh, and just search for LifeWords Q&A. And it's produced by Hope Media Limited. Till next week, uh, have a great one and we'll see you soon.